The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, good morning, Ecclesia. It is a beautiful thing to be together. If you uh, haven't been with us in recent weeks, uh, we are sort of plowing through the book of Exodus. Uh, We were doing it as we led up to Easter uh, during the season of Lent and then just decided there's so much good stuff in there, we were going to keep doing it for a few weeks. And so we're going to continue in that. If you have been around, uh, it might alarm you to know, especially this far into um, this teaching, that the book of Exodus isn't really about the Exodus. Um, For sure, there is this beautiful story of God uh, rescuing his people from captivity, and if ever uh, there was uh, something to applaud as we read through the Exodus, that whole narrative is a huge piece of it. But the way the book ends tells me a lot. In other words, it's almost like these inductive commercials we see where this scene sort of comes on the screen and we have no idea what they're talking about. And then for like the last three seconds, they show us the name of their brand and we're like, oh, I get it. And the book of Exodus kind of ends that way with this very obvious ending that just sort of advances this theme of presence to us. Look at Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. I think we see at the end of this Uh, book, this theme emerging. At that moment, a cloud blanketed the congregation tent. You may have heard it called the tabernacle. And the glory of the eternal filled the sanctuary. Moses could not even go into the congregation tent because the cloud had enveloped it. And the glory of the eternal filled the sanctuary. Through all their wanderings in the desert, whenever the cloud lifted up from the congregation tent, the Israelites would break camp and set out. But when the cloud covered the tent, they remained where they were and did not set out until once again the cloud lifted. Through all their wanderings, the cloud of the eternal stood over the congregation tent during the day, and at night fire was lit for all the community of Israel to see. So the book of Exodus does not end with Israel in the promised land. It ends with the presence of God filling the tabernacle in this new and obvious way. Now the tabernacle is weird to us. That's not a word we use for anything anymore. It's not something that we're super familiar with. But in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and later the temple was representative of God's presence among his people. So when Exodus ends with the glory of God filling the tabernacle, it's a pretty good clue that everything we've heard up until then was sort of leading to this momentous occasion where God's presence was felt in this unique way. But it's not just at the end of Exodus that I think we can see that God's presence is the point, because really it's all over Exodus. And when we see it throughout the book, we also are instructed and informed of the ways that God's presence is active in our lives. The first is this, God is present in suffering. From the very beginning, God was present with his people in their suffering. Look at Exodus chapter two, verses 23 through 25. 
Many years later, Egypt's king died. The Israelites continued to moan because of their bondage, and they cried out to be rescued from their oppression. Their cry for help ascended to God. He heard their pleas and remembered the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the situation the people of Israel were in, and he was moved to take action. You know, God's presence in our suffering starts with the recognition that he sees you. He saw the people of Israel in Egypt in bondage and whatever suffering you may feel or have felt in your life, you need to understand that even in your suffering, God is present. So often when hard times befall us, we ask the question, where is God, where is God, where is God? And the answer is he's present with you even in that suffering. We know that as a community, right? After Hurricane Harvey, the whole community, the whole city was suffering. Six million people going through trauma at the same time. And that there was still this spirit that emerged as Christ followers and even, I would argue, God's spirit just sort of generally in humanity sort of came to the surface and it just felt different. It just felt like we were in it together and there was power coming from somewhere other than ourselves to be able to sustain and continue and and bond together the way we did. But even in our suffering, sometimes we lose lose sight of the fact that we have these seasons of suffering in our life, but for so many all around the world, there's almost constant suffering. Whether we're talking about starvation or the lack of clean drinking water or human trafficking, there's suffering all around the world. It might cause you to ask the question, where's God in this suffering? And the answer is he's present. If you've been around the world, different countries, different cultures, you see that suffering in different ways. I've had the opportunity a couple of times to visit the country of India. It's a beautiful country. But one of the things that our brothers and sisters in India are struggling with is persecution. It's vast. And it's increasing. had an opportunity to visit a village where... Uh, our nonprofit had the privilege of helping to construct a school building, and we visited some children there. And every child that was a part of this school, every face you see, is representative of a family that's been persecuted. So them, some of these kids, their, their dad has died because he was a pastor and he was killed for preaching the gospel. Some of these kids, their homes were burned down because their villages were invaded. And you see these kids and you think about all of their suffering, but then you realize that they they have people around them now that are teaching them, making sure they get enough to eat. This village, several homes have been constructed. If, If these families can't find a place to stay, they can come and stay in a home that's been built for them. They receive counseling from a ministry there. It's beautiful. God is present even in our times of suffering. So maybe you walked into this room this morning and you're just walking through a season of suffering. Maybe it's an illness, maybe it's just frustration with life or mourning or grief. We've all been there at different times. If that's you this morning, if that question has been in your mind, where's God? I want you to know that God hears those cries and he is present in your suffering. But another thing we see in the story of the people of Israel is not just that God is present in our suffering, but that he is present in our journey. He's present in our journey. Exodus chapter 13, verse 20 through 22 says this. The people of Israel departed from Sukkot and set up camp in Etham at the edge of the desert. The Eternal went on ahead to guide them during the day in a cloud shaped like a pillar. 
At night, he appeared to them in a fire shaped like a pillar to light their way. So they were able to travel by day and by night. The eternal did not remove the cloud pillar or the fire pillar. By day and by night, it continued to go ahead of the people. So we're all walking through these journeys in life, right? Maybe it's a a journey of education. Maybe you're still in high school. You can't wait to get out. You're looking, I mean, you're just ready to move on. and, And it's a journey. There's all these relationships that we journey through, relationships with our parents that we're walking through, relationships with our spouses or someone we're dating. Parenting is a journey. Our vocation is a journey. Talked to a couple people beforehand that just moved to town. They're in a, they're, we're on a journey. And God is present in that journey, whether it's recovery, whether it's a health struggle. These seasons of life that we walk through that we almost just sort of map out in our minds where we're going to have to take step by step by step by step. God is present each step of the way. For Israel, it was nice, right? He had this pillar of a cloud and this pillar of fire, night and day, always sort of going on before Israel. Sometimes I wish we had that visible of a signal, right? Go here, turn here, stop here. But make no mistake, God is present as we journey through life. So he's present in our suffering. He's present in whatever journey uh, you are on today. And he's also present in his fulfilled promises. So Exodus doesn't end with Israel on the threshold of the promised land. We don't get there till the beginning of the book of Joshua. When God fulfills his promise and he allows Israel to enter into the promised land, Joshua takes over for Moses. And listen to what God says to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 9 of, of the book of Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Never be afraid or discouraged. Why? Because I'm your God, the eternal one, and I will remain with you wherever you go. I was with you in your suffering. I was with you all along the way. And now right on the cusp of this fulfilled promise, I want you to know I'm not going anywhere. I'm not a waiter who like brings you your food and then you're all set, right? I'm going to be with you wherever you go. So be courageous. Be ready to act. Be ready to move. Be ready to do as I say. You know, sometimes we turn to God when we're suffering and we don't turn to him during these moments of celebration, but God is present in those victorious moments as well. God is present when you ring that bell because you have overcome your cancer. God is present when you say, I do. God is present when you graduate from high school, finally. God is present in these moments of victory when his promises to us are fulfilled. And when I think about those three things, I think one of the reasons that's so encouraging to me is because we are always in one of those three places in life. Pretty much, right? We're all, we're either really struggling and suffering. Maybe we're just walking through ordinary life on a journey. Maybe we're in this season of great celebration. We're always kind of in one of those three spots. And what the story of Israel informs me of is the fact that God is present regardless of the season that I'm in, a season of suffering, a season of journeying, a season of fulfillment. God is present through it all. It's what Exodus is all about. I mean, for crying out loud, when, when Moses meets God at the burning bush, you remember the story where, where Moses sees the, 
shrubbery up on the mountain burning, but not like burning out. He goes up and he hears this voice. And it's where this whole thing starts, right? I've heard the cry of my children in Egypt. I want you to go back and lead them out. And they do all their arguing back and forth. We've covered that territory. But what's interesting to me is of all the questions that Moses asked, the one that sticks out to me the most is Moses keeps saying, okay, I get it. You want me to go back to the most powerful nation in the world and approach the Pharaoh and you want me to say, hey, these two million people or so that are propping up your nation's economy, I'm gonna need to take them somewhere else. But when I ask them that, who do I say sent me? Like whose authority do I fall back on? And God doesn't hand out a business card. He doesn't even really explain himself. He just says, tell them I am sent you. And that just sounds kind of goofy to like that's not a name. If you skim over that real fast, you, you kind of miss it. But what God is saying to Moses is the ultimate authority rests with the person that just is. And I am. I'm not gonna be, I wasn't. I just am. I am. Even the name that he gives Moses evokes this idea of presence. He just, he just is. There isn't a place that he's not. In the Exodus story, God was in the reeds of the Nile and in the hearts of the midwives that saved the babies from Pharaoh's sword. He was in the voices of his children calling out for salvation. His presence is in the smoke and the sound and the wonder of the mountaintop. It was in the fire. It was in his voice. It was in the storm that raged and the signs and the wonders and the tabernacle. God's presence in the life of Israel. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, I get it. Exodus isn't about the Exodus, it's about the presence of God. But you just listed off like eight visible or audible things that the Israelites had to communicate that God was present. And sometimes I think when we say, well, where's God when I'm suffering? Where's God when I'm hurting? What am I supposed to do next? What's God want me to do? Really what we're grasping for is that visible or audible presence. And for us, like for you and I, when we drive away today, like how do we really know God is present? There's not a pillar of fire that's sort of a spiritual GPS that's gonna lead us to the next thing. Like how do we know God is present in our lives? How do we experience his presence today? Let me suggest three things to you. For one, I think that God is present in his word. And I mean that in a couple of ways. I mean, I mean the scriptures. I mean the words on the pages that we so often take for granted. I think God is present in these words. And they may not be the audible voice of God, but I'm pretty confident that what we have in our hands is just as good. I mean, these are, these are reliable Beautiful, meaningful words to us from God that for centuries have not failed. So we have these beautiful scriptures. I love what St. Augustine said about the scripture. He says, treat the scripture of God 
as the face of God melt in its presence. And it's just convicting to think about when I open my Bible, I don't melt. Like my knees don't get weak. But maybe it's because I don't understand what it is I'm holding in my hands. So I think the presence of God can be felt in his words, the the scriptures. But when I say the word of God, I don't just mean the scriptures. I mean the word of God, the eternal word. God the son, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then you skip down to verse 14 and there's this game-changing verse that says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is the same word. It's reminiscent of this idea of tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. God's presence was among us, like in physical form with like fingernails and hair and eyebrows. God's word condescended to us, not like smoke into the tent of meeting, but like as deity into human flesh. We have that word available to us like people who hung out with him wrote about it, and we read about it. And so we have God's presence in his word, the written word that we can enjoy for ourselves as much as we want because it's been composed and printed and we have it, but also in the very word of God, Jesus, who tabernacled among us. So God's presence can be felt in our lives today through his word, but it can also be felt in our lives because of his spirit. God's spirit is available to us. And when you slow down and really consider the implications of that statement, it's incredible. Sometimes we worry about where God is. We worry about the circumstances of our life. Thomas Akempis wrote in the Middle Ages and he says this, Be not troubled about those who are with you or against you, but take care that God be with you in everything you do. How do we take care that God is with us? I think fundamentally it's about inviting God's spirit into our life. And we read in the scriptures that God's spirit is available to us when we surrender to Jesus, when we give our lives over to the lordship of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So we read the Old Testament, we read this burning bush story, and you got Abraham hearing stuff on the mountaintop, and you got Daniel with all this access, and it kind of freaks us out, like what would it be like to really hear from God? Like, what would it be like to have a pillar of smoke that led you around and the pillar of smoke was God's presence? Like, wouldn't that be incredible? And we're almost jealous of these Old Testament matriarchs and patriarchs who seem to have had a type of access that we will never have. But when we get to heaven and we're like having tapas with Moses and drinking coffee with Abraham and just having a great time, like, I honestly think they're gonna set their drink down and lean over the table and be like, wait a second. Are you, you're telling me that like the spirit of God lived in you? So like we're jealous of them, but I think they're looking at us and going, I don't, I don't think we fully appreciate the access we have. Not us to God in some external way, but God has access to us in a very internal way. 
We're not talking about smoke coming down and filling a tabernacle. We're talking about the Spirit of God filling our lives. And there's a mystery to that that I can't explain, okay? That's a whole different teaching. But what I'm telling you is that the Spirit of God is available to dwell inside of us. God incarnated himself to dwell among us, and then he sent his spirit to dwell inside of us. So God is available to us. His presence is felt in the word. His presence is felt in the spirit. And then I think equally important is the fact that God is present in his people. The people to your left and your right this morning, the the people that we come to cherish as community, people of the word, people of the spirit, God is present in his people. You've walked into those rooms where you just felt it. It's hard to explain, but it's like there's something different here. You felt the opposite too, where you've walked into the room and it just was like, ugh, kind of toxic. Like I can't, I can't exist here all the time. God is present in his people. When they're people of the word and people of the spirit, in community, we dwell alongside of each other, and as we surrender to the Spirit and surrender to the Word, God's presence is felt all the more. So listen, we know that the theme of the book of Exodus is presence because of the way it ends and so much of what happens in between, but we also know that Exodus is is really more about God being with his people than rescuing his people because of how the book begins. I don't want to freak you out for the second time in 20 minutes, but the book of Exodus has the wrong name. In our Bibles, I'm not trying to be critical, it's just the wrong name. So in our Bibles, which are all in English for most of us, our Old Testaments come to us through the Greek language. And when the Greek people got together to translate the Old Testament, it was this thing called the Septuagint. They just kind of name stuff, stuff that Greek people would know. So some of them are the same, but Exodus is one that's different. They saw the story, they're exiting Egypt, they're going to the promised land, we'll call it exit, Exodus. That's what we got, simple enough. In the Hebrew Bible, it's not called Exodus, and I can't pronounce it because I did terrible at Hebrew uh, in college. In fact, I took Hebrew first by correspondence, and this is back in the day when they sent you VHS tapes. If you're a student in the room, ask your parents. It's a weird thing. So, like, I would watch this super boring guy pronounce Hebrew words on VHS, generally fell asleep, rarely did my homework, and I was about to flunk the class. I dropped it right in time. I retook it in person, marginally more exciting, still way over my head. I think I got like a C minus. It wasn't my best day. So I can't pronounce it, but I can tell you what it says. The Hebrew Bible, the name of the book of Exodus is not Exodus. Because I think the Hebrews knew the point here isn't that we got from point A to point B. The point was that God was with us the whole time. So in the Hebrew Bible, they often name a book after the first few words of that book. And the first few words of your book of Exodus, even in our English translations, is usually, these are the names. And I just think that is a beautiful 
reflection upon the fact that God was present enough in the life of his children that he knew their names. And then the whole story unfolds. But before there was ever an exodus, before there was ever a promised land, before the Red Sea ever split in two, God was just with his people. He was just close enough to know their names. And it's not just how Exodus starts and finishes, it's how the whole Bible starts and finishes. When you think about it, the whole Bible is about the presence of God among his people. It starts in the garden with God being present with Adam and Eve, and it says it took, he took walks with them in the cool of the day. They had fellowship and relationship in an intimate way. And it ends in the book of Revelation in the new city, the new Jerusalem, with God being present with his people. His light providing the light. There's no sun. We don't need a sun. We have God's presence among us. So the Bible begins and ends with God's presence among his people. So my wife and I lately, we've, there's this illustration that keeps coming up. I did it in church camp growing up. Anybody go to church camp growing up? You're totally going to get it. So there's this thing that, I don't know. So there's a lot of things at church camp that are just emotionally manipulative to try to get you to like cry and rededicate your life all the time. So <laughs> it's just true. And I was a youth minister for 18 years, so I did them. So I'm not being critical of other people. I'm being critical of myself too. So this one thing was like, there'd be like a candle. I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. But there'd be like a candle. And they'd tell you like, you put put the candle somewhere and then like in relationship to, to where God is relative to you. Like how close are you to God? How close do you feel to God? And they'd put the candle. And usually, you know, like you'd spent the whole year putting basketball ahead of church and dating girls you shouldn't have and cussing. So you'd put the candle over there and then you'd walk way over here because you're the scum of the earth and people would pray and somebody would sing a song and everybody would cry. And that's just kind of how church camp... The people laughing have been to that church camp. So you just do this, right? And it'd be like this cry fest. And so, but as I thought about that, my, my wife actually brought this up to me. She's so right. Like that is like the most theologically incorrect illustration that you could ever do. Because the only right answer, the, regardless of who you dated or how much you cussed, like the only right answer is that like the candle would be here and you would be like right here. Like that's the only theologically correct answer. I mean, I guess theologically correct, you would eat the candle or <laughs> that has its own issues, but like there's none of this stuff. There's none of that. Like God is the same place. He's just right here with us. He's just present. Exodus 33, verses 12 through 16. Moses is, I think about it as wit's end. He says to God, look, you tell me lead these people, but you haven't yet told me who you will send to accompany me. Yet you tell me I know you by name and you've gained my trust and blessing. If I have gained your trust and blessing, reveal your way to me. This is after the Red Sea. This is after all the, this is after everything. He's still asking, reveal your way to me so I can truly know you and so that I may gain your favor. Remember that this nation is your covenant people. He's lecturing God as if God forgot. And God says this. He doesn't address any of his drama stuff. He just says, my presence will travel with you and I will give you rest. 
And Moses says this, it's beautiful. If your presence doesn't travel with me, then don't lead us away from here. How will the people know that I've gained your trust and blessing if you do not travel with us? Isn't it the very fact that your presence travels with us that distinguishes us from every other people on earth? So when I was a kid, I had a scary basement. And I never wanted to go into the basement by myself. And so if I had to go down there and do something or get something or whatever, I would be like, to my sister, I'd be like, hey, come with me. Hey, come with me for a second. Come with me down to the basement. She's like, I'm not going with your basement. I'm like, come with me. If you don't come with me to the basement, I'm not going to the basement. She's like, I don't care if you go to the basement. I'm like, but she was the same way, right? Because she was scared of the basement too. It's super creepy. There's spider webs and salamander. It's gross. And so she'd be like, come with me to the basement. I want to go down to the basement by myself. I'm like, I'm not going to the basement. I'm watching baseball. Go to the basement by yourself. I'm not going to the basement. But there was just so much fear out ahead of me, I didn't want to go alone. And I think that's what Moses is saying here to God. I mean, we're more than halfway through the Exodus narrative at this point. But he says, God, if you're not going to go with me, then I don't want to go. It's almost as if he's saying, God, more than an Exodus, I just want your presence. And we want for so many things, and there are so many things that just sort of sparkle and shine and woo us into thinking that they're worth going over that way. And I just wonder sometimes, are there things that we would rather have than God's presence? Or are we willing to say like Moses, God, if you don't come with me, I don't want to go. If you're not coming, don't send me down there. If you're not coming, I don't want to go that direction. I want you more than I want an exodus. I want your presence dwelling in me more than success, more than any material possession, more than any relationship, more than a life of ease, God, if the choices are I suffer the rest of my life and have your presence in my life or that I'm comfortable the rest of my life and I don't have your presence, give me the suffering. Because without your presence, it's all meaningless. May God's presence be ever before us. May God's presence set us apart uniquely as his covenant people. May God's word and spirit and his people constantly remind us that he is ever with us. He knows your name. Even as the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, when it came time for him to die, he gathered his friends around a table And he broke the bread, which many traditions call the bread of the presence. And he says, I want you to take and I want you to eat. And as you eat, I want you to remember me. And then he took the cup and he passed it to his friends, this cup of the presence. And he said, I want you to take and I want you to drink. And as you drink, I want you to remember me. And someday we're going to eat and drink together again. But in the meantime, I'm going to send my spirit. I am going to be with you.
wherever you go. And so as we come to this time where we remember that God is present, not just in these moments of communion, but wherever we are, wherever we go. Let's say this prayer together. I'll lead as the celebrant, you as the people. In you, O Lord, we are raised to walk in new life, but still we are prone to wander from your path. Forgive us, Lord. Grant us obedience to walk boldly, following you in faith. Our eyes remain clouded by the things of this world, even as your new creation is breaking through. Forgive us, Lord. Grant us vision for your kingdom. Help us to see you clearly. Our self-interest turns us inward. We are slow to empathy and compassion. Forgive us, Lord. Grant us hearts that break with yours. Make us instruments of your love for all people. Help us to leave these things at the foot of the cross. Help us rise a forgiven people. Grant us grace for this day that we would place our hope in you once more. Amen. If you're helping to serve communion, I'd invite you forward at this time. Here at Ecclesia, we celebrate communion by intention, and what that means is that in a moment, we'll just ask you to come up, and you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup in the middle of each group of people. There's a cup of juice on the outside of each group, a cup of wine. If it's helpful uh, for your health, we also have a gluten and dairy-free station in the back. You can celebrate uh, communion there if you need to. There's a couple other ways you might choose to respond during this time. One is we have faithful brothers and sisters uh, toward the back of the room that would love to just pray with you, hear your story as you are journeying, whatever season you may be going through. Maybe it's a season of suffering. Maybe it's something you want to celebrate We would love to pray with you and get to know you better. You can do that during this time. Also on my right, your left, over in the corner, there's just a a covenant member station. If this is the kind of community that you feel like uh, you might fit in well with as we journey together in the gospel, we'd invite you to come and fill out a card. We'd love to get to know you better, help you know what it means to be a part of the Ecclesia uh, family in the days and weeks ahead. And so it is a great joy to be able to celebrate in this way every week, uh, to remember God's presence in our lives together. So let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.